If you're new here, I just want to say a couple things. Number one um, is we're so excited that you're here and that you're with us today um, and that you get to experience this, uh, this life-changing baptisms. Uh, and the second thing is, man, we're doing uh, this, this it's, it's kind of going to be a reoccurring series, um, and it's called Traditions. And, and the reason that we really wanted to do this is because, um, when, I guess, when you grow up in church or you grow up around church, you know there's some, there's some church things, there's kind of some organizational behaviors that happen. Um, that aren't specific to church or, you know, some of the ones that we do are specific to church, but just kind of organizational behaviors or rhythmic patterns um, happen in every organization everywhere. And over a long period of time, um, what are usually some events or some vocabulary um, become calcified into what we know as traditions. Um, and there's some traditions that happen in the church that, frankly, if you're new to church um, or you're kind of re-experiencing church for the first time in a long time, then you walk in and you go to a church and some of the stuff that you do, you show up and you look and see what the people do and everybody comes and they sing, you know, and that's a little bit odd. And then today everybody gives them money and that's, you know, real odd, and especially because they don't really get anything returned from it. And then at the same time, you know, um, they use a bunch of words which are really, you know, just you know, really odd words to use. And you sit there and you say, you know, why in the world do they do what they do? Do they say what they say? Do they use the vocabulary that they do? I mean, there's just all kinds of things that are so different, which if you're in church, they're kind of what you've always done. In fact, for many of you, you grew up in church. And so there's a bunch of weird stuff that you do and you don't even know it's weird. You're a weirdo and you didn't know it this morning. But you walked in and maybe you've walked into a church and you've thought for your entire life, well, you know, I don't really know why we do it. Or I don't know really why I say that or phrase it that particular way. But one time I heard a pastor say it that way, and he seemed real spiritual or she seemed real spiritual. And so then I walked up front, you know, or I, you know, was talking to somebody, and I used the same word. And they thought, oh, they're so spiritual. Oh, my gosh, you know. And you don't even know maybe why you say the things that you say as a Christian. And so here, here, here's the good and the bad about tradition. For many of us, for many of us, tradition, and the reason why tradition sticks is tradition usually is very significant and very meaningful. On the other side of that, sometimes tradition just becomes tradition, and many of us will walk into a church and say, I have no clue why we do what we do. And so there's some things that we believe had just existed since sometimes the beginning of Christianity that had incredible significance that throughout the centuries has lost the significance to us. Some of the things that we do, some of the words that we say, and I can kind of remember my first experience with this. When I was uh, 10 years old, I was raised in a home where uh, we were kind of in and out of going to church consistently. Maybe you were like me and you were raised in a home where, you know, you'd go to church pretty consistently for about a year and then you'd take a year off. You know, it's like, man, that was a good year. We're going to take a year off. We were way too church that year. So you took a year off for a little while and then you kind of came back. Well, I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, and I hadn't been to church in a while. And the church that we went to when we went to church um, was a, it's an extremely traditional church. And so I walked into the church for the first time, and I had grown up a little bit, started, you know, that little, like, 10-year-old independent thinking, I know what's going on. And so I walk into this church, and I just remember, they sang so much. It was unbelievable. And it wasn't good music. It was terrible music. It was music I would never listen to on the radio. I wouldn't even entertain listening to outside of if my parents were playing it, like, during dinner or something like that. I mean, this stuff was awful. So I listened to it. And if you were raised in one of these churches, you know, then, then, then they start passing the basket around. Except, you know, we actually have baskets. They had, they were, they were an official church. They had a, um, a brass plate with a little felt thing at the bottom of the plate. Anybody have one of those when you were church growing up? 
A couple of you, you raised your hand. That's so cute. All right. So, you know, it's like for some reason God's money can't hit the brass. You know what I mean? We got to have a felt play for some reason because we're church and that's spiritual, you know? So, so, you know, you pass a little thing around and that was also the time that you could fill out like a little comment card and you would, you know, you can maybe if you're new, put your name down. If you, you know, had something to say, you could say, I think they're more so for prayer requests, but I remember it's at a comment section. And so at the top name, Ben Kempfer comment, we sing way too much and just put my little thing in and thought hey maybe it'll do something you know but but here's the reality all of us have walked into a church at some point all of us have walked in or seen christians at some point and thought why in the world do they do that why in the world do they say that what's the purpose what's the reason and sometimes it's extremely significant and sometimes it's insignificant but what we wanted to do is just from time to time as we felt the need to talk about a particular subject we wanted to discuss some things that perhaps you've heard for your entire life But you never knew the significance behind the word or the thing that you've spent your entire life hearing about or saying. So this morning, we're going to talk about a specific word. Um, In fact, I'm not going to tell you the word until we get to the word. But we're going to talk about one specific word, and we're going to find it in the book of John. So if you've got your Bible, you can open up to the book of John. John is kind of an account of Jesus' life. It's not kind of an account. It is an account of Jesus' life. In John chapter 3, um, there's, a, there's a story that, that perhaps you're familiar with. It's a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Um, Nicodemus came to Jesus at nighttime. If you ever grew up, you know, in the, in the 90s, you watch Nick at night. This is where it came from. Nicodemus came at night. It's not. It's a really cheesy joke, but I just think it's clever. So, And I got the microphone on, so deal with it. So John chapter 3, um, what happens is there's a guy named Nicodemus that, that walks up to Jesus. Let me give you a little backstory on Nicodemus. Nicodemus, as we're going to find out in verse 1, um, is a ruler. And, and kind of the place that, Jesus, that, that Nicodemus ruled was there was this governing body between Rome and the nation of Israel, or a lot of the Jewish people in a particular region. And this governing body was called the Sanhedrin. They were essentially like the supreme court. It was you know, somewhere between 25, maybe up to 60 or 70 dudes that would rule and that would preside and they would kind of you know, go have any of the ultimate cases that needed to be decided, they would be decided. And so there's this one guy who's a member of the Sanhedrin, scholars believe, and his name is Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, probably a lot of people knew about Nicodemus, um, but Nicodemus grew up being a good Jewish boy in a faith. And this was essentially his faith, that because of the family that you're born into, because he was related to Abraham, because how they thought is anybody who's born in the bloodline of Abraham is in God's good graces. Anybody who's born into the bloodline of Abraham has an affiliation or an association with God, and that's what makes you right with God. And then beyond that, there's a little bit of behavior. There's some being a good person involved. And so if you were to ask Nicodemus, Nicodemus, what's your theological belief? And nobody ever probably asked him this, but what's your belief? What's your belief behind what puts you in God's good graces? And Nicodemus would say, in Nicodemus' history and backstory, was that I have this affiliation with God. I have this association with God because of who I am, because of where I was born, because of the family I was born into, and I'm a good person. And that puts me in God's good graces. And so Nicodemus comes and talks to Jesus. And in this conversation with Jesus, he discovers some truth. He discovers some reality that fly full in the face of everything he had ever thought or ever been taught. And so this is how it works. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler over the Jews. 
This man came to Jesus by night. Now, a lot of people make this huge deal about he came at nighttime. It's like, oh, he probably came because he was scared. It probably had a huge significance. He didn't want the other Jewish ruling bodies to find out he wouldn't talk to Jesus. Maybe that's true, or maybe the dude was just busy. You know what I mean? Maybe he had to go to, like, Walmart and Target, and he was Christmas shopping. There's a bunch of stuff happening, you know. He just got done ruling, and all of a sudden, he just had time at nighttime. But for whatever reason, Nicodemus shows up at nighttime and has this conversation with Jesus. And this is what he says to Jesus. He says, Rabbi. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, here's, here's what's interesting. This is where many of us are. This statement is where many, many, many of us are. Because many of us kind of have this general belief, or well, maybe not you specifically, but maybe some of you. But in our culture, in our country, in Tallahassee specifically, and I, I can't really talk for our country but I know Tallahassee pretty well. I've lived here for 32 years now. In our country, or our culture, or our city, we a lot of times have a thought that Jesus is a good guy. Jesus is a good teacher. Jesus is a fella who taught some really good stuff. Jesus was someone who we maybe believe has an affiliation, has a connection with God. In fact, some people would say he has, he's the, maybe he's the son of God. But when Nicodemus is saying this, Nicodemus is not saying, Jesus, we believe that you are the son of God, the one true living God. We believe that you are the Messiah, and I've given my life to you. Huh, Jesus, he just says, hey, we realize there's something godly about you, and we're not really sure what. We realize there's something godly about you. We believe that you're a good teacher, but we're not really sure how much farther it goes than that. And let me, again, Jesus, let me just, you know, reiterate because you're about to answer a question I haven't asked, which was really annoying that Jesus always did. But kind of how I believe is that you're a good teacher, I have an affiliation with God, and that I'm a good person. You're a really good teacher, I have an affiliation with God, and I'm a good person. And so Jesus says this back to him. Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is, and here's our word, born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. <laughs> I feel like I was saying, whoa, 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 whoa. No one said anything about that. You know, I just said, man, you're a good teacher. I just said that you're a good teacher. I mean, you're, you're all of a sudden, you're on this rant. And Jesus, I've heard you do that, by the way. I mean, and for all of us, we're like, man, we'd love to, I'd love to hang out with Jesus for one day. It's like, no, you wouldn't. Because he would start answering questions that you hadn't even asked yet, and it would freak all of us out at the same time. So Nicodemus was just talking to this guy, like, hey, man, I heard you're a pretty good teacher. Let me just tell you, you have to be born again. Now, this word born again is a very, very, very divisive word. This word born again is a very, very, very divisive word. And here's why. Because many of us can have an affiliation with Jesus. Many of us, because of the family that we were born into, because of the country that we live in, and because from time to time we attend a religious service, have an affiliation with God and perhaps an affiliation with Jesus. And here's how you know, I know that. And you are welcome to do this social experiment if you want to, but you're still going to be a little bit awkward. If you were to walk into any Moe's, you know, if, you're, if you're a Christian, you know, if you walk into any Chick-fil-A, if you were to walk into any, you know, Starbucks or pick your favorite restaurant, you know, for me it's Zaxby's, you know, you were to get your Zach sauce and you were to sit down and you said, okay, I have, you know, I'm, I'm taking a poll, you know, everybody's attention, everybody, everybody up, eyes up front. They look at you like you're a weirdo first off. You said, okay, who in here is a Christian? Who in here would consider themselves a Christian? Almost everyone who didn't have an expression of different religion. 
opinion. That is, everyone who wasn't Islamic, everyone who wasn't Buddhist, everyone who wasn't expressly atheist would probably raise their hand. But if you said, hey, everyone in here who's born again, raise your hand. I would look at you like you're a weirdo, you know? I mean, you just, there's a word in that. It expresses, and here's what happens. It expresses the sense of all-inness. It expresses something stronger than just a basic affiliation. It expresses kind of a surrender that I have given my life to God. And there's many of us, there's many of us who have a backstory like Nicodemus because you're a good person. And on top of being a good person, you have an affiliation with God. And you've even attended some religious Like Our culture has a bit of an equation. It's an unspoken equation, but here's how the equation goes. If I'm a good person who has an affiliation with God, who on some frequent or infrequent occasions attends a religious event, then I am going to enter the kingdom of God. And that was Nicodemus' belief. And he comes to Jesus. And Jesus just says, hey, let me just tell you. There's a new set of standards. There's a new curriculum. I know how the old curriculum worked. But this is a new curriculum that you have to be born again. Now, here's, what, here's what's interesting. If that's your equation, good person, religious affiliate, type of a, of a religious attendance, what you're thinking is not new. In fact, what you're thinking is thousands of years old. That's how people for generation after generation thought about and talked to God. But one day Jesus shows up on the scene and over and over reiterates that that, in fact, is not the way. So Jesus goes on and talks to everybody. Or actually, Nicodemus says a question that I think would all be our question. He says, how can a man, <laughs> how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, this is, now this is interesting, because this is a question that he's asking Jesus. We don't know if this is like a sarcastic question or, or, or what the deal is, but he just kind of says, now, Jesus, I've heard you do some miracles, and that would be an interesting one. You know, I've heard you turn water into wine, but I ain't seen you have a grown man come out twice. You know, I mean, that's just, <laughs> like, how would that work? How does that look? What happens to the you know, mom after? I mean, the whole thing is just, it's weird, you know, it's like, going to come in. now, here, here's it. We've heard this term so many times that this is not shocking to us, but I mean, come on, imagine you had never heard this before. You're talking to this guy, and he says, let me just tell you how, let me just tell you how you enter the kingdom of God. You got to be born a second time. <laughs> You're thinking, thinking, what in the world? Like, okay, never mind. You know, I don't respect you as a religious leader anymore, as a ruler. He just, I mean, he, but he, he sees Jesus for some reason. He presses the issue. He says, Jesus, I mean, come on. You can't be born again out of your mother's womb. Can't, can you? You know, I've heard you do some weird things. So Jesus answered. Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born is flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again, that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but do not know where it comes and where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I want you to know, this is a little bit mysterious, it's a little bit uncontrollable, it's a little bit like the wind, but just because you were born into it, just because you were born into a family of it, just because you were born into a culture of it, and just because you're a good person, 
doesn't grant you access to the kingdom of God. He says, what grants you access to me? Come on, if you're asking me, if you, if, you, if, you, if you respect me as a teacher, if you have any kind of respect for me as a teacher, let me just tell you, if you think I'm from God, let me just tell you what God thinks. That it's not about a physical birth. It's about a spiritual birth. It's not about a born into. It's about a reborn of. And so Nicodemus asks a very honest question. Let me just pause with this. This is why I love the Bible. Because it's just so honest. Like, it's not like Nicodemus was like, oh, okay, that sounds good. Thanks, Jesus. He just looks back at Jesus after this and says, how can this be? Like, Jesus, this still doesn't make sense. This still, I mean, come on, Jesus, I don't know if you know how we operate around here. But for thousands of years, it's been all about an affiliation. It's been all about a connection. And it's been all about being a good person. Jesus, Jesus, this flies full in the face of everything every religious person has ever taught me. And Jesus was like, I know. So let me tell you a little bit more. So Jesus answered him. Are you teacher of Israel? And yet you don't understand these things. Now, this is interesting. Jesus doesn't necessarily say this to us, but he said this to Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus was so familiar with the Old Testament that he would look at Nicodemus and say, come on, come on, Nicodemus, you should know this by now. I mean, come on, Nicodemus. The entire Old Testament, the entire Hebrew Bible points to this thing. All of the scriptures so far, all of the prophets so far point to this arrangement. Nicodemus, at this point, you know this and this should make sense to you. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, that we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? For no one has ascended into heaven except the one, except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And at this point, Nicodemus is probably completely lost because he's just saying, whoa, 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 you were just talking about the wind and you were talking about born again and now this is an ascension and dissension. I mean, Jesus, come on, his head's probably just been... And so Jesus breaks it down and has an Old Testament reference that Nicodemus is probably extremely familiar with. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I get it. For us, let me just tell you a little story about what happened. In the Old Testament, as the nation of Israel was wandering around, they at one point camped in this particular spot that had all these serpents, all these snakes. That's a church where we use. We don't say snakes. We say serpents because it's more biblical. It's not, but <laughs> anyways. There's all these snakes. They're you know, extremely poisonous. And so people were just getting bit left and right, bit left and right, bit left and right. And people were dying. And there was this huge outcry to say, what do we do? God, what do we do about this? And so this is what God's answer was. It says, here's what I want you to do. Everyone's getting bit. Everyone's got this sickness. They can't get rid of this sickness. You don't know how to get rid of this sickness out of yourself. And so I want you to erect this, 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 this gigantic snake. And I want you to lift it up. And here's how it's going to work. Everyone who sees this snake is going to be cured from their snake bite. That anyone who believes and who puts their trust and looks at that snake bite, or looks at that big snake, is going to be cured of the bite that they can't cure themselves from. So he says, Nicodemus, let me put this in some words that you understand. He says, just as, he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
In other words, in the same way, in the same way, the people had no way out. In the same way, the people had no way to cure this sickness. And God provided a way. That's exactly what's going to happen with me. We're going to find out that's exactly what happened. Is Jesus came to bring the awareness that good people with a good affiliation to God still have this incurable problem called sin. That we are all, all, all sinful people. And that's not me pointing my finger and saying, you're bad and you're bad and you're bad and you're terrible and you're worse. That's me saying, hey, all of us, all of us walked in here as sinners. And in fact, here's what's interesting. If you're here again, you're new, you're the first time, you know, you maybe came for whatever reason, somebody invited you, maybe somebody, you know, somebody cute, you know, invited you and you're going to go to lunch afterwards and you're like, what about the date, you know? Ring by spring, hopefully, you know, that girls and guys are like, whoa, ring by 10 years from now. <laughs> Except for my man, of course, you know, shout out. <laughs> but I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. Here's, here we're going, here's where we're going. <laughs> she got distracted, all the girls, oh, you know, let's hold pinkies. Um, so <laughs> so here, here's why I say that. If you're, if you're in here, you're the, this is your first time, you know, you, you know you're just kind of investigating church. Here, here's what you already know. Here's what you already know. When you walked in here today, when you walked in here today, there's some stuff maybe for you, and maybe you're not, maybe you're a good person, but for many of us who walk into the church for the first time, which is all kinds of stuff, all kinds of baggage, all kinds of stuff that we know that if God knows, he's not happy with us and all this kind of stuff. And you maybe walked in the doors today hoping that no one sees all the stuff and thinking that if they knew, if Ben knew, if the people of this church knew what I had done yesterday, last night, I mean last weekend, last, you know, over the Thanksgiving break, if they knew, then they wouldn't let me into their church and Jesus would say exactly exactly that means you realize that you are in fact a sinner and God didn't come to make you feel like a bad person to make you feel like a horrible person but to provide a way out from the reality that you already know exists in fact in the very next verse he says one of the most famous things there's debate whether it's Jesus or whether it's you know John as a narrator coming in and saying this but just unpacks exactly what Jesus was saying. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him in the same way that anyone who looked on the snake would be cured from this incurable disease, that anyone who would look at Jesus, put their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus, not their affiliation and their good behavior, but would put their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, would believe in Jesus, He should not perish, but have eternal life. For God, this is huge, did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God didn't send his son into the world. God didn't send Jesus down to say, you suck, you suck, you suck, and you're all going to hell. You're condemned. He said, no. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved. Through him. Now, it's kind of a two for one Sunday. Because the other word is saved. And let me tell you, let me just tell you briefly, I'm kind of getting close to closing this thing out. Let me tell you why I love the words born again and saved. 
Because saved implies, save as divisive and controversial as it can be, born again as divisive and controversial as it can be, saved implies that you realize you need saving. It implies the realization that you can't help yourself and that only God can. You see, if I'm swimming in the ocean, you know, and it's, you know, kind of doggy paddling out there, you know, full stroking, you know, whatever I'm doing, and you kind of swim up next to me, and you grab me by the arm and start taking me into shore, you're like, dude, I saved you. I'm like, you're a weirdo. Get off me, you know? But if I'm out and there's a riptide or there's something going on that, you know, you beachy surfer people know about, and I'm starting to drown, and I'm getting pulled under, I'm getting pulled out, or whatever's happening, and I can't make it back to shore, and I'm fearful for my life, and then you come along and drag me up to shore, provide a way out. That's a whole nother story. You saved me. And the person who gets this is the person who realizes that they are, in fact, a sinner. Not in need of helping, but in need of saving. That I can't good myself good enough to be in God's good graces. Because he's too holy and he's too pure and he's too perfect. So God says, man, I didn't come into the world to convince you that you're all terrible people. Because for most of us, we're already very aware of that. I came to provide you a way to be in God's good graces in light of the fact that you have messed up, you have made mistakes, and you have sinned. And the person that gets this, the person that puts their faith and their hope and their trust in Jesus and the finished work that he did, when he died on the cross, when on the cross his blood was shed, his body was broken, so that you and I could have ultimate forgiveness, ultimate love, ultimate acceptance, that no matter where I am in life, no matter what I've done in life, no matter all the things that I've thought in life, that God loves me. God gave his son for me. And God has invited me into a relationship with him that will result in eternal life. And when you put your faith, your hope, and your trust in that, you make Jesus your Lord and your Savior. Then the Holy Spirit now comes and resides in you. And what we believe is that you go from death to life. Your heart of stone becomes a heart of flesh. And that you're now alive. And you have been spiritually born again. Not a physical birth. A spiritual birth. And I don't know where you are. I don't know who you are. Many of you in here, man, maybe you grew up in a church and you've heard this a hundred times before, but for some reason today it just makes sense. Today it's your Sunday. Maybe for you, you walked in, you know, it's your first time. Maybe you've gone to church your entire life. And you thought that the way that you're in God's good graces, the way that you have eternal life, is through having an affiliation with God, attending religious events from time to time, showing up, going to community group, maybe serving a little bit. And you thought perhaps, you know, having an affiliation with God and being a good person would get you into God's good grace. And Jesus would say, hold on, let me just tell you. In the same way the snake was lifted up, the Son of Man was, would be lifted up, and he was. And that anyone who places their faith, their hope, and their trust in him, God provides ultimate forgiveness, ultimate love, and ultimate grace. And maybe for you, 
you've been around church your entire life, and you've had an affiliation with God your entire life, you've had thoughts about God your entire life, but you've never actually given your life and put your faith, your hope, and your trust in God, in Jesus himself. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And about the middle of the prayer, I'm going to invite you, uh, if, if that's you, and today's your day. This morning's your morning. I'm going to invite you to raise your hand. Let me tell you why in the, in the, in the spirit of traditions. One, because everybody who Jesus you know, ever called, he called publicly. Number two, we want to know, what, you know who to pray for. Number three is because at the end of the day, if you really get this, if you really get the ultimate love, the ultimate acceptance, the fact that you get God, there's nothing, 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 nothing I can do to talk you out of the, the rest of your life having the love and the peace and the acceptance from your heavenly Father. And that one day you're going to be with him in glory. And you get that and you don't even have to work for it. It's the free gift of God. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, for many of us, we've heard these terms, born again. Heard our entire life, maybe been put off by it. But today we want to give in to it. That for every guy, for every girl, for every man, for every woman in here, a story, there's an affiliation that they thought perhaps that they were in your good graces because of the family that they were born into, the culture they were born into, their attendance, God, whatever reason. But the reality of your word is that it's only through your son Jesus and the blood that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins that on the cross you bore all the sins on the cross, you, the, you paid the price that we couldn't pay. Heavenly Father, for every man and woman in here who wants to put their faith, their hope, their trust, not in their affiliation, their good works, but in you, Jesus. God, when I count the three, would you give them the strength and the courage to raise their hand? And if that's you, if you want to put your faith, your hope in Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe you walked away from it for a long season of life, but now when you're coming back as an adult, you're ready to make that declaration that Jesus is, in fact, your Lord and your Savior. On the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Very good. Very cool. All right, you can put them down. If that's you and you just raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Pray it out loud. Pray it in your heart, your mind. But I want you to know there's nothing about this prayer that's significant. It's simply acknowledging what's existing in your heart right now. And you say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. God, thank you for so loving the world and for so loving me that you would send your son to pay the price I couldn't pay. Jesus, I make you my Lord. Come be my Savior because I'm in need of saving. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I place my faith, my hope, 
and my trust in you alone. So come be my Lord. Come be my Savior. Amen. Wonderful. Hey, I just want to say one thing before we dismiss. If you just prayed that prayer, I just want you to know that what we believe is that you went from death to life, that you didn't just experience a cool moment, that you actually experienced a spiritual rebirth. And that's one thing that we want to celebrate one more time. We've already celebrated a bunch this morning, but we just want to give it up for everyone who just prayed and raised their hand. Last thing I'll say is this, and then we're going to dismiss. Um, one of the things that we're going to start doing, you know, kind of on a regular basis here is uh, we know from time to time after the service, uh, many of you who just prayed that prayer, maybe you want to pray with somebody, you want to talk to somebody. Maybe you just got stuff going on in your life, you want to talk to somebody and pray with somebody. Perhaps, you know, exams are crazy and your cat died. Who knows? Um, but you want to, you know, you just need to have stuff going on in life, you need prayer. We're going to have a prayer team that's going to come up here. You can identify them. They're going to have a lanyard on so you don't just grab randos and start praying with them, you know. Um, but we're going to have some people up here just because we want to care for you and love you in that way. So we love you. You guys have a great break, and we'll see you next week.